Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Jackie Hill Perry about same-sex attraction, identity, and the Christian life. We talked about literally everything from how we can engage people in a homosexual lifestyle with the gospel to how our identity as believers is literally transformed by the gospel. I think my favorite part of this conversation may have been when Jackie and I got real about what it's like to study the word and to seek to grow in our theology as mamas to little tiny people. Overall, our conversation is just rich with gospel-centered encouragement like this. What God wants me to do is to continually remember the gospel and glean from the gospel as it relates to my temptations or my desires or my trials or my sufferings or even my victories. And that even my victories, I can glory in it and be thankful for it because I have a right understanding and right knowledge of Jesus now where I can thank him truly instead of saying, oh, I did this. I'm telling you guys, Jackie brought the heat. So you'll know her a little better. Jackie Perry is a writer, poet, and artist whose work has been featured in places like the Washington Times, the 700 Club, Desiring God, the Gospel Coalition, and many others. Since becoming a Christian in 2008, she has been compelled to use her speaking and teaching gifts to share the light of the gospel of God as authentically as she possibly can. That totally shines through in this conversation. At home, she's wife to Preston and mommy to Eden and Autumn. Now, on to my conversation with Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. It's such an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. You do so many different things, Jackie, that I have just been watching for the last couple of years online. And I got to tell you, this is just one of the funniest moments of me introducing you to my husband, who is an Army infantry soldier. We're stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So, you know, you just get the picture of us driving on post through like, you know, government housing and we (laughs) pop on Crescendo, which is your new album. Yeah. And his words to me, I'm a little nervous to tell you this because I hope it's a compliment. It's intended as one. He looks at me and he goes, man, she's like a theologically accurate Lauren Hill. Hey, that's what I've heard, actually. Could, really? Yeah, I could appreciate that. Oh, man. Well, I, I get down with that crescendo. I've been getting down with Lauren since, you know, 2006 or something like that. So hey, I appreciate actually being able to sing the words and believe what I'm singing along to. But uh, you have done a lot of things. You are a writer. You are a poet. You can sing. And No, no, no. What? No, Is that not no. you kind of singing in your album? Absolutely not. It's a... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a young lady named Jordan Welch. I wish I could sing that way. <laughs> yeah, she sounds good. She's great. Yeah, but I'd love for the listeners to get to hear a little bit more from you about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Um, I mean, aside from the public stuff, right. I think what I really, really do is just, you know, trying to be a Christian. I love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I'm married to a man named Preston. Mm-hmm. We've been married um, four-ish years, so close to five. Cool. Um, I have two daughters. One is named Eden, who is three. And then I have a new baby uh, named Autumn. She is 10 weeks. And so that's kind of what I do. And I go to church and I cook. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, when I was digging through your book and reading your story, it seemed to me I was trying to put together like the time frame of all of us. Did you become a believer like early 20s? Yeah, uh, when I was 19. When you were 19. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I really just want to talk to you about that process of transformation and stuff like that. What God has done in your heart and how he gripped you by his grace today. So what has your journey looked like up until this point, Jackie? Uh, tumultuous. That's a great word, I think, <laughs> for it. Um, yeah. But intentional. I was raised in a single parent household, uh-huh. um, as many people of color are, not all, but many. Yeah. Um, and I I think being, growing up without, you know, just the presence of a father and a dad just kind of kind of messes up your identity as a woman yeah. in many ways. Um, I was molested maybe four or five. Um, I got introduced to pornography around seven um, I had gender confusion around that time as well. Uh, I noticed being same-sex attracted uh, as early as kindergarten. And that was before, like, it was a, I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't right. as public for me to say, oh, that's what I want to be. It was like, no, this is this is an affection that I have that I don't have a name for mm-hmm. at that time. And so I was kind of, that was just my trajectory is that there's fatherlessness, there's confusion, there's same-sex attraction, attractions. Mm-hmm. Just all of that. And uh, my mother wasn't a believer either. And so I I didn't necessarily have the gospel being presented to me in my home. But I think the sovereignty of God, as as he would have it, my mother worked every weekend. And so I would go to church with my aunt, who was a believer. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like Monday through Saturday. I'm just like this regular godless kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Sunday, I was exposed to the gospel all of the time. And so growing up, it was like this kind of dichotomy where it's like I love sin, wanted sin, but I was very intrigued about what I learned about God. Yeah. Or whatever. And so I ended up getting into um, lesbianism because I was like, you know what? This is what I feel is true to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I obviously can't die to, not knowing that I didn't have the power to do that. But I just started to do it, loved it, enjoyed it, uh, was in love with my girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera, until I was 19. That was 2008. Mm-hmm. And it was like everything I had learned prior with my aunt, with seeing her read the scriptures, with me reading the scriptures, all of it became realistic and tangible, where it was like, oh, for the wages of sin equals death is actual. Like, this isn't mm-hmm. like a theory that this might happen. Like, this is like, no, this is to be believed. And so I had this conversation with God about my sin and about what he was calling me to do. Um, And I felt like I had no choice but to believe him. You know, like, totally. I think think when you see Jesus rightly in all of his glory, and we obviously can't Uh see all of his glory Uh as Moses did or whatever, or stuff like that. But at the same time, I saw him, the veil was lifted 
and I saw that he was worthy of my affections and worthy of my body and worthy of my mind and worthy of my soul and worthy of all that I am and all that I have to give. And it was like, why would I give sin that as if it could offer me eternal life? Yeah. And so I just believed, not knowing that what I was doing was believing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I repented, mm-hmm. not knowing that what I was doing was repentance. It was just that, oh, this is worthless. He's worth it. Yes. It's kind of was what it was. And so, yeah, I think that's a good synopsis of what I love, like the sovereignty of God in every story. And I love the way in which you described yours. You're kind of alluding to it where you're sitting in your bedroom and you, you know, you'd had a lot of dark experiences in your life, Jackie, as you described, but you're just walking in complete darkness. And yet, how was God pursuing you even Mm -hmm. on your darkest days throughout your life? I, I think he, he was pursuing me through his word one. And so I think all that I I didn't, and it's not like when you're five, six, you understand atonement, justification, you know, resurrection, all of that. I I didn't understand that. But one thing that was clear is that Jesus died for sinners so that they would have life. Mm -hmm. That's all I needed to know. And so I think that knowing the gospel as it is in John 3.16 was a big part of God's pursuit of me because it it was always on my conscience or in my conscience. I think an awareness and an awareness of what God has done for sinners, it's hard to shake that. I also think he was pursuing me through people. So I didn't have a lot of interactions with Christians, especially as a lesbian. One, because I didn't trust them. Two, because I don't think they knew what to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't like I engaged in many discussions with them. But I had like a friend who was a believer. And I remember uh, she had a graduation party or something. And she was talking, you know, after the person has all the presents and stuff and they want to give like their little benediction speech. Mm-hmm. And she just starts crying about how good God is. And it was the most confusing thing to me that somebody would be so overly emotional about a God that no one can see. Yeah, But I, I think God was pursuing me in that where it's like, she loves me and I love her. And there's obviously been some type of tangible evidence in her, even her emotions that's, that says that God is real and to be loved and to be believed. And so I think yeah. situations like that um, were, were God's pursuit of me. So he was always there. It, it, it kind of got on my nerves. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking about that conversation that you had with your cousin because you yeah. felt like he was just after you, right? Yeah. Because, I mean... <sighs> Like even the fact that I, I felt like I was I was not able to sin without knowing mm-hmm. it was sin. Mm-hmm. And so that was the frustrating part. It was that I wanted to sin in peace. And so I called my cousin, who was the only believer I knew that I could talk to and that she wouldn't quote Romans 1 or Leviticus uh, 18 to me. Yeah. And so <laughs> she would actually ask me questions about, hey, how's your day? How's your grades? You know, do you <laughs> like almond milk or soy? I don't know. Yes. And so I called her and I was like, Keisha, like, I feel like God is pursuing me. I feel like he's after me. I feel like he wants me. I don't want him. And I was like, I I just kind of want to do me. And I think in essence, I was just really asking God to make me a reprobate or something. Uh Like uh allow me to have such the hardness of heart that I don't even have the conscience to know that you're you're wooing me and that you want me. And she just told me, she was like, you know what? I'm I'm praying for you. And I know that God is going to do all that he has to do to have you. I didn't know what that meant. It sounded real (laughs) deep and spiritual. (laughs) Like, okay, whatever. But she was right. 
totally, you know, you mentioned that acknowledgement of sin and knowing that what you were doing wasn't like right. How does God love us by exposing us and like kind of flesh that out about what that looked like in your own life? Yeah, I think for me, when I was 19 and God showed me that my sin was actually sin, it wasn't just lesbianism. It was my entire life was yes. a sin against him. Yeah. And I knew that from the scriptures. I knew that my disobedience to my mother was a sin. I knew that lust was a sin. I knew that drunkenness was a sin. I knew that uh, pride was a sin because it's all throughout the scriptures that these things are not what pleases God. And I think it's his kindness to be specific with us because right. we were rather like yeah. a generalized, you're a sinner. Yeah. But what does that actually mean? What does that mean? And how does that display in your life? And, and even when you look at Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, he, he calls out spe- specific sins that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think it's good to know that because it's like, oh, that's what I do. That's who I believe myself to be. Um, and I think God has to expose us not to be cruel, but to be kind, because in his exposing of us, we can see what needs to be repented of and what's keeping us from abiding in him as we should be and how we've been created to do so. And so I think for me, when I saw, oh, these sins and just these sins are indicative of just Mm -hmm. who I am. Mm -hmm. I sin because I'm a sinner. (laughs) And so it's like, I need to not only just stop these particular sins, Mm -hmm. I actually need to be made right and made different. So I won't walk in them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so hard because, you know, many of us have grown up in an environment where we've been exposed to that truth. Yeah. And yet we still have these desires, like deep seated desires to walk in sin, to walk in darkness. Um, What does allowing our desire to rule over us actually do to us? And how do we all like... How do we all like have these desires? And yet it's kind of like that Pauline thing where it's like, man, we know what we ought to do, but we continue to walk in sin. God created us with desire and affection. And I think that's not talked about enough in Christianity to me, because I think sometimes it can revolve around we just love God and we choose to love God, which is a fact. But in our loving him, it's both duty and affection. You know, both both. I think there is joy in our obedience. Yeah. And so it's just like but, in marriage, you know, it's like exactly. there's a lot of times when you're feeling it. And then there's sometimes when you're choosing it. I like you and I love you. Yes. OK. <laughs> <laughs> like I like your face and I'm choosing to submit to you even when I don't feel like it. It's <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. But I think when you look at um, Genesis, when you look at Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. even when Eve was presented to Adam, he wrote a poem for her out of an affection for her. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That was a that was an affection there. But also when Eve was being tempted by Satan, one of the things that she saw in the tree was affection. She felt that the tree was desired hmm. to make one wise. Yeah. She had a, des- a desire for something that God told her not to have. And so to me, when it comes to desires, is that God has given us these for his glory. All things were created through and for him, which Colossians 1.16 says, including my affections, including my Mm -hmm, heart, including mm -hmm, my emotions. mm -hmm. And so the place of my desires are, they are not safe in an idol's arms. They weren't Mm -hmm, made for that. That's not not healthy. That's scary, actually. And we've all seen what happens when we put our desires and our affections on something not worthy of it. But when we put it onto God and into God and in faith and in trust and we allow him to govern our affections 
instead of our flesh to govern our affections. I think what we have is wholeness in Christ. I think we have peace. I think we have joy. And out of that comes also mm. of the spirit. We have joy. We have self-control. We have peace. We have kindness. We have love. Like we have all of these things mm-hmm. that won't. we won't just walk in because we have to, but yeah. we walk in yeah. because we can and we want to. That's yeah. the difference. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Man, I can only imagine the process, especially like after having walked in something as deep seated, like and, and deeply rooted to your identity and who you are as homosexuality. Right. What did it look like to like retrain and reorient those desires? Like once you had, like you're saying, that moment of repentance and walking forward in faith. Oh, hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was just hard. Yes, um, it, that's it, the reality. Because I think sometimes we just get this like idyllic picture of what that looks like, but grinding mm-hmm. it out is mm-hmm. intense. Like for every single person, no matter where you're at in your process of sanctification, right? Like for yeah. me, it's like right now, it's my tongue and my speech and and the, my lack of contentment and my you know all these things. Like it's just a pro- a daily dying to self. You know? Yeah, it's I always imagine it like a baby. It's like when I was born again, literally, God is like (laughs) saying you're born again, like you're a new creature. You're like a baby. And so I think any baby is going to be very difficult to walk. It's going to be difficult to talk. It's going to be difficult to go to sleep uh, if we're using that as a metaphor. And so I think for me, it was hard for me to figure out now how to walk by the spirit. What does that mean? What does this look like? I'm used to giving in to everything. But now God is saying, no, you you resist the devil and you submit to God. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Like all the time, like every day, like every minute. Yeah. And so for me, I think one of the biggest things was getting into a local church. Mm-hmm. Um, when I repented mm-hmm. and believed in the Lord, my initial thing was I knew I had to break up with my girlfriend. Um, and so after doing that, that was actually the most difficult thing for me to do, that everything else became easier, mm. um, whether that was me changing my clothes whether that was me distancing myself from certain friends that I knew were unhealthy for me. But I also joined a church a week later that a friend invited me to. And I think it was through my submission to a local church and being in a local church and being surrounded by a community where I was actually able to learn how mm-hmm. to love and please God alongside people. Because I, I think if I tried to learn obedience in isolation, it would have been a failure. Yes. Um, but it, and when it 
what would have happened was every time I failed, I wouldn't have had anybody to actually tell me, one, that's normal. Two, this is how you get up. Three, this is how you continue. (laughs) You know, so I think having older saints that I could look to, Mm -hmm. but also having saints that were in the same place and same season as me that I could uh, also walk with and have empathy from was great. And so, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was hard, but I'm I'm grateful for it. Yes, because it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be an easy thing. Right. To do something so contrary to your nature, which is to live holy. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Scripture it says is. it's like death. <laughs> it definitely is. Take up your cross daily. Yeah. What? Yeah. What does that mean? But it's joyful. Yeah, totally. You know, I love how uh, Bonhoeffer says that we're to be bringers of the message of salvation to each other. And when you're talking about your church community, like that's what we do for each other. We remind one another of the gospel. And one phrase that just like punched me in the face from your book, Jackie, was you said you were kept by the gospel. And I don't think I've ever thought about being held. I I, I talk about like being increasingly gripped by God's grace, mm-hmm. but how are we kept by the gospel, Jackie? And how mm-hmm. can somebody's identity, like something as central as like, who are you and what are you doing here? How can your identity be transformed as you're kept by the gospel? Yeah, I, I think it's common in a habit. I'll say this. I remember when I started to go deeper into what the gospel was um, because of a woman that was discipling me. Hmm. And I had thought that the gospel was like, okay, I read Matthews, Jesus <laughs> died for our sins, yes, he yes. rose from the grave, cool, let's move on to the good stuff, the deep stuff. I didn't realize that the gospel wasn't just the means by which I was saved, but the means by which I was kept. And so it's like my discipler, what she said was, I was like, she was, uh, I was struggling with lust or whatever. Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. was like, Jackie, you need to believe the gospel. I was like, what are you talking about? Of course she I believe like, the gospel. I yeah. believed it already. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. Give me something else. Check that box. And she, she said, no, when Jesus died, one, yeah. he died for your sin, oh, right? So yes. in him dying for your sin, that means that you don't have to submit to this sin that you're struggling mm-hmm. with or struggling against. And so, yes, you might've died and been made new, but mm. even right now, you need to believe that you can walk in the newness of life because mm-hmm. of what Jesus did for you 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I, that was just, an, it's so simple because that's what Paul did his entire life. Well, not his entire life, but after <laughs> yeah. he became Paul. <laughs> yes. But I, I, I think it was, it was just revolutionary for me to think that, oh, what God wants me to do is to continually remember the gospel and glean from the gospel as it relates to my temptations or my desires or my trials or my sufferings or even my victories and that even my victories, I can glory in it and be thankful for it because I have a right understanding and right knowledge of Jesus now where I can thank him truly instead of saying, oh, I did this. I can actually say, no, I know you did this and I'm glad that you did it. And so, yeah, the gospel, I think when you, when you remember that, yeah, like he died for my past, present, future. He secured me. I am sealed by the work of the uh, yes. the power of the Holy Spirit because of the gospel and that I will then one day see God and stand before God and be judged righteous because of the gospel. And I will be able to be alongside all of these other believers who have also been saved by the gospel. And we will all be rejoicing continually and forever because of the gospel. You can't get past it. No, no, you can't. And it is absolutely life altering. So 
after submitting to the Lord, after that acknowledgement that, yes, the gospel is true, like, Mm -hmm. how did you preach the gospel to yourself when you faced sin and temptation? Like, how did you react to sin and temptation? Yeah, I remember Jesus's life and how even specifically his temptation in the wilderness with Satan mm-hmm. where or the testing. It's like Satan was coming for his head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I want, I want, hey, hey turn the stone to bread. No. Uh, jump off the temple, kill yourself. No. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What else did he tell him to do? Something crazy. That didn't make no sense. Yeah. And Jesus resisted, but that wasn't his only resistance. He resisted all 33 years of his life because he's yeah. holy, because he's good, because he's great. But then now when I read Hebrews, it's saying that because of his resistance and his victory over it, he can now empathize with me in my attempts to yeah. resist, in my struggle against weakness and sin. And so when I struggle... I remember Jesus, that one Jesus understands, Mm -hmm. but also Jesus was victorious. Mm -hmm. And so he Mm -hmm. empathizes. So I don't have to have shame because I struggle, but because he was victorious, I know that I can be victorious too. And so I think looking to Jesus in all of it has been Mm -hmm. really helpful for me. And I know it can sound really cliche and Christian, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, look to Jesus. But no, that really Mm -hmm. is the only route to go. Yeah. Somebody (laughs) once told me, like, look away from yourself and look to Jesus. And that's just such a helpful picture to me because so often when I am struggling with sin, I mean, a lot of, obviously, my sin is all like, centered around idolatry (laughs) and unbelief. And so a lot of times they're just like navel gazing. So I get this visual picture of looking away from my, you know, belly button and like looking up and just like (laughs) asking God, like help reorient my perspective and give me a God oriented perspective here. Cause I am just so like, you know, focused on the immediate. What role did prayer play in Mm. your ability to combat sin and temptation as you're like, you know, just like going through, especially in those first years after your conversion to Christianity and then walking out, like literally having to walk out of a lesbian, you know, relationship and into, I don't know, like, gosh, I can't even imagine how that felt, Jackie, because you didn't even know that God was going to give you like uh, an attraction to men Mm -hmm. at that time. Like you didn't know where you were walking into (laughs) celibacy Mm -hmm. or what? Right. Yeah, I, I know my first experience with God's power after prayer was, I think it was one or two days after I repented and I was at work and I was working at Wendy's and this girl came up to the cash register. She was in line. She wasn't in my, she wasn't at my register uh-huh. and she was just beautiful. And I remember being attracted to her and I wanted to, I just kind of wanted to do what I usually did, which uh-huh. was to somehow speak with her or pursue her, or pursue her in a obviously sinful way, but stuff like that. Right. And I had this awareness of God that I didn't have. And so I didn't, I didn't have prior and I didn't know what to do though, because once again, I've been a Christian the whole two days. So I don't have. (laughs) And you had all these old patterns that you were used to when you were in that that exact same situation. I don't have a devotional. I don't, I don't have you version. (laughs) They didn't even have people talking about that back then. Right. Like there wasn't, there weren't very many people writing or speaking about walking out of like homosexuality. They might have been. I just didn't know about them. Yeah. 
you know, like I didn't have any gospel songs. I didn't, I couldn't think of liking Christ alone. <laughs> I, I had no <laughs> reference point for anything, yeah. but I, I knew that I should just ask God for help. Mm. I knew that at mm-hmm. least. And so I just kind of in my head was like, God help me. Wasn't deep, wasn't long, wasn't none, wasn't none <laughs> of that. But when I said it, it wasn't this big miraculous, like it wasn't that the desire went away for me to be attracted to her. It was that my desire and my affection shifted mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm, wanting to mm-hmm, choose God mm-hmm. over lusting after her. Mm. And so I think that's what the prayer did was that I asked God for help and he helped me by helping me choose mm-hmm. him for her. Didn't remove the mm. temptation. He just gave me a way out, which was to look to him. Mm. Sometimes the way out is just to believe. Yeah. That, that really is, is the case. And so I think prayer is huge. Like you look at Jesus, who is sinless, holy, and he prayed more than anybody. Totally. <laughs> All the time. If God in the flesh prayed, <laughs> how much on. more do I need to pray? Come on. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think to not pray is to um, cheat ourselves yes. out of a true intimacy and fellowship with yeah. God. And I think it, 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 it eliminates the opportunity for us to see him work. It does something to your faith mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you pray for something as God help me and then you see him help you. Yeah, That yeah. builds your faith where it's like, oh, one, you hear me. And two, you care for me and you actually will answer my prayers that are according with your will, accordance with your will. And asking God mm-hmm. for help definitely is one of them. Yeah, I've been super <laughs> convicted about that this year because I just came to this recognition that, you know, I'm that type A personality, Jackie, who just kind of knuckles down and like does stuff. And yeah. prayer was like not a strong suit of mine. So the more mm-hmm. reading I did, the more I began to see like, man not praying is like such a direct correlation with my lack of faith or my unbelief Mm -hmm. or like my correlation to what my faith actually looks like. Do I actually believe that God is working all these things? Like, you know, and if I do, then of course I'm going to cry out to him for help. And so I just, I don't know, solidarity to anybody who struggles with that. I read that in your book and I was like, golly, why do I forget so quickly just to simply ask the Lord for help in my time of need. And that's just been, that's just been a real good reminder for me, especially as a mom. I mean, man, how many times throughout the day do I need help with my attitude and my reaction to my kids? Yeah. And I think there's even grace for for that. Like Mm. when it says we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. And so then we are able to come to his throne of grace with boldness for help in our time of need. And I think our time of need is all of the time. But sometimes... (laughs) We forget that. And so there's even grace yes. to say, God, I need to need you. Help me. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I think I think even from his throne of grace, he's like, cool, I got you. You know, I'm reading through the prophets right now, like reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, those things. Me too. Well, kind of. Nice. I'm in Second Kings. So what are you doing? Are you reading through the Bible chronologically or something right I now? I am. So I'm intrigued. Yeah. It's well, great. it's just really cool to see like, you know, when the kings... When they take that position of humility, like the Lord honors that. And that is really encouraging because it's like, man, okay, just humble myself Mm -hmm. in whatever way I can, whatever way he graciously like enables me to. You mentioned when you were talking about, you know, that experience of the girl walking through the checkout line um, that you wanted God more than you wanted what you know could come from like an interaction with her that maybe may, may have been sinful. What is it like to want God more than anything else? I think 
I think when you look at Jesus, you see that his greatest love was not for us. It was for God. Surely he loved us, but he loved God more. Yeah. And so I think even when I imagine him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how he is wanting the cup to pass from him. And it's like, man, this it isn't that he's afraid of the cross per se. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna it's gonna yeah. be very painful. It's gonna be excruciating. Yeah. But this would be he doesn't want to feel the distance mm. from his father because he's bearing the wrath of those who would believe. And so I think that to me shows me what wanting God does to people, which is it, it puts them in the position to obey everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anything, no matter how hard, how difficult, how long it might be. Jesus was obeying for 33 years. This is God. He hasn't experienced what it is to be a man and how weird it is to be wrapped in this body that has so many different types of weird things that happen to it. Like he's God and he has to go to sleep. He's God and he gets tired. He's God and he gets hungry. He ain't never had all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how uncomfortable it might have been yeah. to to be him for that long and still choose God. Uh not not only because that's all he could do being holy, but that's all he wanted to do. Yeah. And so I think for me, I do it so imperfectly, but I think just believing and having the faith that God is the only one that could actually satisfy me has kind of put a do- a new perspective on what obedience is. Just because I always felt like, okay, you want me to obey you so that you're happy and you don't strike me down. But yeah. it's like, no, you yeah. want me to obey you because in my obedience to you, I'm able to enjoy you because sin is not somehow distorting who you are or somehow putting some some weird thing on my conscience. It's just, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Wanting God just, it, 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 that's what we were created to do and to be. And so I think that's when we actually are walking in the fullness of what God has called us to do when we just love him for mm-hmm. real. Man, that's why I love to boil it down to just the simplicity. <laughs> like oftentimes I get really overwhelmed by like how much I desire to grow in my understanding of who God is, like mm-hmm. my theology and my doxology and all those things. And sometimes I just have to take it down to the level of like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and might. Yeah. Like you talked about at the beginning, another like catchphrase for me in motherhood, because man, I don't know about you, Jackie, but I just feel like I get bogged down like when I'm standing at the kitchen sink in those mundane moments where you're just like, what the, <laughs> what the heck am I doing? Yeah. And uh, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Like that's kind of, that helps me just reorient my heart to like, what am I about? Like I want, I desire to love God, but like is what I'm doing in this moment, like reflecting that or am I making a decision that aligns with that desire? Yeah. I just have to get real basic on it sometimes. No, seriously. And I think the whole scripture is just spelling that out. This is how you love God. This Mm -hmm. is what happens when you don't. This is how you love neighbor. This is what happens when you don't. Here we have Jesus so that you could, (laughs) so that you can love God and love neighbor. And here we have what happens if you reject his call to love him. So then you can't love your neighbor. I think that's just all the Bible is. Yeah. Tell me this. One of the things I've wondered in watching you, (laughs) I got to admit that this is this is just like really um, vulnerable right here. But a couple couple months ago, you posted a picture of yourself because you turned 29. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap. I thought she was at least 34 because she's so much (laughs) wiser than me. (laughs) 
true. Not true. Here I am at 30, and now I'm like, what am I doing with my We're life? the same age. <laughs> but I got to tell you, Jackie, I know people, like, listen to you talk, and they listen to your passion for, you know, who God is. They listen to just the wisdom that he has bestowed to you, which I, I know you're going to give him all the credit for. What has this process of growing in your theology and your mm. understanding of who God is and what he's done to you and for you, what has that looked like? Like what's encouraged you and what's helped you along in your desire to grow in your relationship with God and to know how to love him more and to like massage those affections that he's placed in your heart for him? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is uh, the scripture. I think I'm... I do have the spiritual gift of teaching, but at the same time, I think I'm super inquisitive. So like in kindergarten, I won the award for most inquisitive, which is obnoxious <laughs> that you would give that long word to a five-year-old to, to then totally. go to their parents and say, hey, I don't know what this award is that they just gave me. But anyway. <laughs> but you're asking questions about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when I, but I, my approach to the scriptures is the same way, is I call it a... Um, I interrogate the scriptures and I allow the the scriptures to answer the questions. And so I think that builds a deeper understanding of the scriptures when you're not just reading it passively. We were actually saying when it says in Ephesians uh, 1, blessed be the Lord and Father, God and Father of Uh our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, what does that blessed blessed mean? Does Mm -hmm. it mean like we bless him? What does it mean to bless him? And so I think just asking deep questions Mm -hmm. has kind of developed uh, a and I'm still a new believer technically compared to a lot of the older saints, but it, it's it's developed a denser capacity or understanding of the Word of God, which thus yeah. I try to believe so that it, it'll come out in my life. But also older saints, like I just can never under never uh understate. Yes, like the need for older mm-hmm. saints. And so like mm-hmm. I've always had an older woman in my life through different seasons. So when I was yeah. a new believer, my disciple of Santoria, I just needed to learn how to walk with the Lord, how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to yes. tithe, how to fast, just that type of stuff. Then I got married. It's like, oh, I need somebody to help me teach, teach me how to be a wife because I don't know how to do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had children. It's like, oh, I needed a woman to teach me. How, and Or my pastor. I need someone to help me learn how to be a leader and how to, yeah. how to lead well and stuff like that. And so I think that has been huge for me. And I, I always have I've been able to perceive or observe uh, in the older mm-hmm, saints in my mm-hmm. life how they walk their how they love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How they love other people and just to learn from them and for them to correct me on stuff that I just don't I didn't even see. You know, mm-hmm. if you ever talk to an older person and they say the simplest truth <laughs> that just convicts your entire life. Yes, totally. Just the simplest thing. It's like even something as small as I told before I got married, I was like, I'm afraid to get married because I'm selfish. She was like, well, you're always going to be selfish, Jackie, until you go to heaven. <laughs> like, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's encouraging. <laughs> so she was like, that's not a good excuse to, yeah. to be married. Like, she's like God is going to help you. Yeah. Um, you know, Jackie, you, you've you been on stage at TTCW. You've written books, like all this. I just think in our culture, we have access to people like yourself. Like, you know, gosh, we have access to, you know, Don Carson. We have access to Piper. We have access to people who are really just gifted in their teaching. And yet here you are telling me that it's the everyday saints that you're living, doing life alongside who are Mm. impacting you most dramatically, only secondary to the word of God. Yeah. That relationship, I just want you to flesh it out. Like it's quite normal, right? 
Yeah, I think it should be. It's extraordinary in the sense that God has gripped their heart. But but I'm like, I, you know, with moving so frequently, I think one of the things that I've learned, we move every two, every couple of years with the military, mm-hmm. is that I really feel like I have something to learn from everybody that I'm exposed to, yeah. you know, in our local church and things like that. So a lot of discipleship for me, like being in discipleship relationships has just looked like humility and coming to them and asking, like having those questions. Do you think that part of like your inquisitive nature as a human in those discipleship relationships is even aiding you because you're able to ask questions, not coming to the table, like expecting yeah. <laughs> that they're going to that they're gonna teach you right there in that moment. Like you're going to sit at their feet and they're just going to, you know, expound upon scripture or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's a there's a level of pursuit and vulnerability that has to be there when it comes to learning from people that are older than us. Because I think sometimes yes. the assumption is they have to come to me. Yes. They have to check on me, yes. ask me how I'm doing. But it's ask like, no. If they can disciple me. Yeah, it's like, no, hey, can we meet for coffee? Totally. I have questions for you about marriage. I have questions for yes. you about motherhood. And I will sit there and ask as many questions as time will allow because they know more than me. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like they've been walking with the Lord. Like someone like Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth. Like, yeah. obviously... She isn't in my local context, but the times we've talked, I have so many questions because you've known God longer than I've been alive. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think for sure. And I think older saints love that. They enjoy that stuff. The the, ones that I've been acquainted with. Yeah. I don't think anybody would ever walk away from a conversation where saying, man, I just want to learn from you and be like, man, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So many darn questions about wisdom. Um, The other thing I want to ask you is about your time with the Lord as a mom, because I know you're now a mother to, you know, little tiny people. And And Mm. while a lot of us have that desire to sit with the text and ask all the questions and do all the research, like what does that look like for you practically? And how have you continued that discipline and practice like as a mother of young children? I'm not good at it. It's hard. It is hard. Yeah, I'm not good at it. It's it's rough. And I actually just came to the conclusion some weeks ago, not to not to shame myself for not being able to be as consistent as I was when I was single mm-hmm. or when we were newly married, yeah. you know. Um, but for me, a lot of it is. So I, I think my situation is unique. One, me and my husband are both self-employed. Yeah. And so a lot of times if I have to study for a text that I have to teach, he will take care of the girls and allow me that time to study. So that's one thing. But I think just casual every day it's honestly, usually I will open up my Bible knowing that I'm about to be interrupted at some yes. point in this and I will read and then I try not to. So I'm weird because I, I get the chance to study deeply so often that my casual reading is not that. It's right. me reading, yes. gleaning, reading a couple commentaries. Kind if of I the high, can. high flyover type thing. That's Yeah, yeah. just Great. That was a beautiful text. And But one thing that I've tried to practice or put into practice is whatever I've read, I try to meditate on that deeply throughout the day. Because um, there's this Spurgeon quote. I don't know it, so I'm going to paraphrase it. But he was basically saying he allows his day to be the commentary for what he's read in the morning. Wow. And so it's like, that's a, man, That is so powerful. It is. It's like God bring to life what this it what do you mean mm. by this? Mm. Let, help, help me see that in my heart. Yes. Help me see that in my life. Um, And so that's one of them. Even trying to be, I learned this from an older woman 
who has four children. So she has a different life than I do. But she was like, Jackie, like I try to invite God into the mundane things that I'm doing. She was like, so usually the time when I'm praying for my family is when I'm washing dishes. She was like, that is my time to pray for them. I was like, oh, because I'm usually washing dishes mindlessly. Like, I don't feel like washing dishes. But she's like, no, like, I take that time to be intentional with meeting uh, with God. And she was like, I don't think God despises that. Like, you don't always have to be on Mm -hmm. your... It's not even realistic Mm -hmm. to think that I'm always going to be able to have a prayer closet and be on my face. But I am washing dishes. I am sleeping. I I do have to give my child a bath. And so while I'm giving her a bath, I'm praying. I'm playing my audio Bible. Yes. Instead of being on Twitter. Yes. Yes. That's huge. I think so much of it for me has just been learning to push back against like that instant access to entertainment, no matter what I'm doing. Even podcasts Mm -hmm. have been, Mm -hmm. you know, something that I have looked to before doing practicing something like meditation or prayer. And I agree. I think just asking God to help us redeem those mundane moments throughout the day and to see how we can use them as a means by which to grow in our relationship with him is such a, you know, just, it's just, it's a way to go throughout the day without it being wasted, which a lot of times, otherwise I think, man, if only you, I can become really embittered really quickly. Like if only you guys didn't use so much laundry, then I wouldn't have to waste (laughs) one hour folding all this stuff. But instead you can pray for the people's. I think that's what Paul meant when he said, pray without ceasing. Yes. Obviously, yes. you can't pray like in a, on a floor all day, all the time. But you are thinking all the time. Yeah. You are able to talk to God all the time. The question is, is he on my heart to do so? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm not speaking with him or inviting him into mm-hmm. my moments, even the boring, unspiritual moments, mm-hmm. the, the problem isn't the situation or the circumstances. It's my heart. Yeah. And if it's not, then ask him to change your heart. Like you said, For that's sure. such an encouragement. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Jackie, because, you know, so many of us, especially in this day of age, have relationships with people who are in the LGBTQ kind of circle or people who are struggling with same-sex attraction that are also in our churches. What are some practical tips for us as a church in how we can go about loving and pursuing relationship with people that are in that lifestyle? Yeah. Um, I have a chapter in my book called The Heterosexual Gospel. The whole point of the chapter is really, I think we need to reframe how we communicate evangelism. And what I mean by that is, I think a lot of times the encouragement that well-meaning Christians will give to someone that is same-sex attracted as a believer or unbeliever is, hey, I know this girl, she used to be gay too, but now she's married with kids. You could be just like her. Just You just got to trust God. And it's like, you've made marriage out to be something that is not as if marriage is the byproduct of oneness with Christ and not Christ himself. Right. And so I I think, I think the best thing we can do is to love people, not based on their sexuality, but based on them being image bearers of the living God. Cause I think that shapes then how we love them and how we Mm -hmm. engage with them on the gospel, because God is not just after somebody's sexuality. He's after their entire life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I'm only ministering to you on the basis of you being gay, and not the basis of you being an image bearer of the living God, meaning that you were made for him and Christ has died so that you can know him, then my whole evangelism is flawed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so I think that's I think that would be helpful. Um, is that as we get to know people, love people, just love the whole person. What is their name? What is their favorite color? Totally. What do they like to do? Where yeah. have they come from? Because there are things that we can learn from them just as yeah. much as there are things that they can learn from us. So, yeah. 
Well, you know, I have like a real personal kind of question, and maybe this would help people flesh it out in their own lives. Like I have a hairstylist who is homosexual, and he lives with his boyfriend. And I was reading your book as I was going through it, and I just kind of feel this weird kind of awkward tension because there's so much language, the way in which we are like supposed to talk is supposed to be so PC and all this. And so it's kind of hard to know, like, how can I like actually engage this situation in a loving way, like to to know him as a person? Mm-hmm. So I'm like asking all these questions about his boyfriend and Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to it, like the actual like conversation, sometimes I can feel like, golly, like I don't like I want to be loving and I want to know this person. But like, how do I engage in this conversation in a way that's also, you know, not like overly tolerant? What does that look like? I think it's so complicated because that, that's why I love Rosario Butterfield's book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that book. I um, haven't. And I really desire to. She's oh, I've read excellent. I've heard her speak and things like that. And I yeah, I can't believe I haven't read it. Yeah, it's called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And what I love the most about her book was that the way God reached her wasn't through somebody just giving her the gospel right. one time at a right. coffee shop. It was through hospitality, yeah. which was welcoming uh, them into her into yeah, their home. A pastor invited her yeah. into his home and they would talk about a lot of things, but they would also talk about faith. And so I mm-hmm. think for me, Again, I'm really inquisitive. And so if I'm engaging with somebody, I think I'm weird also because a lot of my conversations, people already come out to me knowing where I stand. They kind of already know my position um, because I'm pretty public about it. Yeah. Um, But I think the average person could just be honest and ask questions like, so how long have you? And don't ask this the first time. Obviously, that's really awkward. But as the relationship develops, hey, how long have you been? Like, was it hard, like, to to come out to your family? Like, how did that feel? What did your What did your family respond? Da 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 da. And I think as you engage, Mm -hmm. I think asking God for opportunities to be upfront with the gospel, Mm -hmm. but also having the courage that when those opportunities come up, you walk in it. Because I think it's easy to say, God, can you open this door? And then he opens the door and then we're afraid to walk through it. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, Jackie, let me just be real. I'm like sitting here. We've had those conversations. He and I have talked about all these things. I actually feel like we're friends. Mm -hmm. And and instead of wanting to like have an an intentional conversation with him, maybe outside the hairstyling place, uh, you know, I'm instead catching myself thinking, you know what? I'm just going to buy him Jackie's book. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, that could be really encouraging for him to read your book. Like, do you think that'd be helpful? No. See, and and see, then I'm like, no, Hunter, you're just shying an opportunity to really engage in an intimate conversation where he feels like pursued and loved. (laughs) Is that your inward dialogue? That's my inward dialogue with myself. Yes. Yeah, I I think I think even some like what I would do is honestly something like so we both know what Christians have to say about the gay lifestyle. What is your thoughts about that? Like, how does that, how does it make you feel? What do you think? Mm, da, da, da. Yeah. And I think if you come from a position of wanting to learn, because if you ask the question only as a prop for your response, people can sense that they can feel it is insincere, yes. it's disingenuous. But right. if you actually wanted to learn and then as his response yes. comes out or her response comes out, the Holy Spirit leading you to say, well, I think you might not have the full picture of what Christians believe or can I push back on this? Or what do you think about this? Would you consider this? I think asking questions and asking mm-hmm, questions that mm-hmm. kind of give you the platform to speak into his life is it's hard, but I think it's actually a little bit easier yeah. than we 
for last. Yay, Jackie, I'm amped up to go get my hair cut. Yay! (laughs) All right, so what resources would you recommend for somebody who's either struggling with same-sex attraction or for somebody who wants to learn more about how they can love Christians who are struggling with same-sex attraction? Yes, the Book of Romans, for sure. Uh, um, Rosaria Butterfield's book, uh, mm-hmm. Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Sam Alberry's book is God Anti-Gay. Hmm. I think my book, honestly, I think it's helpful. Your book is so helpful. It really, <laughs> and, and also engaging. Like, I would have read this even if I wasn't wanting to know how to interact with someone yeah. in a homosexual lifestyle. It was just your story and the way God gripped your heart is really beautiful to read. That's encouraging. So I, I, I would probably, I would recommend those. And even Kevin DeYoung's um, What Does the Bible Have to Say About Homosexuality? Only because I think there's the temptation, it's a really popular temptation, where people, they are wanting to walk in compassion, but in walking in mm-hmm. compassion, they're resisting actually the truth of God's word yeah. and trying to make it yeah. say something that it's not. And so I think to anchor ourselves back in, no, what does Romans 1 really mean? What does 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, what is that saying? And so so that we can be evangelizing to people very clear right. on what God's word has to say about it. Yes. Really cool. Yeah. We did a whole episode on like understanding a foundation for sexuality and it was all about like the postmodern view. And so I want to encourage people to also go back and listen to that because it just helped me realize and take a step back from the conversation really about like same sex attraction to like, okay, what do you believe is true? And why do you believe that? Like who determines truth in your life? You know, Mm -hmm. because I think that we're in such a postmodern culture we're, we're, it's no longer a question about like what the Bible says for some people. <laughs> like they don't mm-hmm. even submit themselves to the authority of the word anyways. So yeah, cool. I'm excited to check all these out. Well, one of the fun questions I asked just so we can get to know you a little bit better before you go is what are three of your simple joys, Jackie? Simple joys, Food Network. You're kind of a foodie, I've noticed. I love food. You love, I love good, good food, food too. I like do. I'm inspired I, to eat better when I look at your Insta stories. Yeah, Thank I'm, you. A, I'm, I'm a little, well, right now I'm eating really clean because I'm trying to like get my post baby, uh, pre baby bounce back. Yes, but yes. <laughs> I just enjoy really good, well put together food. Um, coffee is definitely mm-hmm. a, a joy, joy of mine. Cold brew sp- specifically is my thing. Oh, um, a, what kind of cold brew do you like? Do you like make it yourself or do you buy it oh, at the store? No. <laughs> I have no clue how to do either. <laughs> I am terrible. So I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Starbucks, but I do think Starbucks has a really good cold brew. Nice. Um, in Chicago, this place called Ipsento has great cold brew. I would never get cold brew from Dunkin' Donuts. I'm pretty sure a lot of people love Dunkin' Donuts to listen to you, but I just cannot stand their coffee like at all. Yeah, I really can't either. And documentaries. Oh, yes. Do you have any good ones that you'd like to recommend? Oh, one that really had a lasting impact on me was, uh, it's called God Grew Tired of Us. Okay. And uh, it came out some years ago, but it was like these these uh, kids from Africa that escaped one of the one of their countries with like 200 boys to flee like death and stuff like that. Wow. And the America American embassy somehow set up something where they could come to America and get an education. But their observations about Americans was so sad. Yes. Yeah. Like they were they they were just saying how Americans are so mean and like 
it's just it's deep. They were just shocked that we go to grocery stores and don't even eat all the food. Like, yeah, yes. stuff like that. Yeah. So that was that was a great documentary for me. Okay, to see. cool. I'll check that out. Brooks and I love a good documentary. I also love a good biography. So yes. very cool. Well, tell me, you know, we were talking about the mentors that we have and that have graciously like poured their life into ours and shared life with us. That's really the heart behind the Journey Women podcast is that we would be encouraging each other on our journeys to glorify God. And you've totally done that for us today. It makes me wonder, who is it that's had the greatest impact on your journey with Jesus? Greatest? <laughs> it's, it's honestly a couple people. The people my book is dedicated to, for sure. Um, mm. So Centoria, she was the one who she discipled me for two years. And she really taught me that God cares about my character because she saw that I had a giftedness. And that I think she kind of foresaw that, like, I think you're going to be a public minister in many ways. She was yeah. like, but God cares more about your heart than he cares about your gifts. Yeah. So she was huge in that when I moved to Chicago, I connected with a woman named Melody Fabian and Melody she really walked with me through my engagement, through my marriage, through the trials that come from learning how to be a woman and what does that mean to child uh, childbearing. Like she has had a huge impact on just me seeing God's heart when it comes to loving my husband and loving my home well. Um, and then Brian Dye, who was my pastor in Chicago. I live in Atlanta now. Mm-hmm. I moved four months ago, five months ago. Yeah. But Brian, he just taught me how to be a servant. Like Brian was like, God wants you above anything to love him and love people. And I'm an introvert. So a lot of times I would blame my personality for lovelessness. And Mm. he never let me get away with that. He Mm. was like, you have to die to yourself. If that means draining yourself so that somebody would be loved, that's what you do. Mm. Mm. And so those three people for sure. Oh, Jackie, it is so cool to get to hear from you in this capacity today. I'm telling you, I just love you from afar, girl. I know lots of people do. And I'm so grateful for uh, for us being able to catch an hour with you on the Journey Women podcast today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. I just love Jackie Hill Perry. Don't you? If you enjoyed this conversation, you can find the details on everything Jackie and I talked about, including her new book, in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. If you want to talk more about the topic of same-sex attraction, identity, and the Christian life, you can hop over to at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. We'll also be doing a giveaway for her book, Gay Girl, Good God, and some of the other resources that Jackie mentioned on Instagram this week. So be sure to find us over there for a chance to win. A huge thanks to Chris Mann of Podshaper who edited this week's episode. You guys, it's such a joy to get to journey with you all. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Yeah.